Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, today, we are going to start uh, in Acts chapter 28. It's the last chapter of the book. So we are really close to the end. Uh, it's today's lesson and then two more. And then we'll be done in our study of Acts. Uh, and then we'll be moving on to the next uh, the next piece, which again, the preacher and I have been discussing about what to do next. Um, and once the decision is made, we'll definitely share with you uh, what we're, the next uh, book we're going to take on. Uh, but before we get to this reading, we didn't really finish last week. We were out of time. Uh, I did want to address one thing. Uh, and um, at the end, so in Acts uh, 27, uh, there towards the end of the reading, uh, in verses 34 and 35, uh, let me read those for you. Uh, and this is when uh, they were approaching uh, and almost uh, ready to be shipwrecked. Uh, these are Paul's words in, in verse uh, 34 of 27. It says, Therefore I urge you to take nourishment. For this is for your survival, since not a hair from your head, will, not a hair will fall from your head of any of you. And this is the verse I wanted to talk about, just to mention. Uh, and when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And when he had broken it, they began to eat. Some uh, people... Brought or drew an assumption that, that that Paul offered the sacrament of the Lord's Supper here, uh, but he did not. This was not the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, uh, and and the reason why is because he he gave it to everybody. There were unbelievers here, so uh, he would not have offered the Lord's sacrament to unbelievers. This was just a way of giving thanks to bread. I mean, just what you know, we give thanks. We have a blessing before we eat. Uh, this, that's all this really was. This was not the Lord's sacrament. So I just wanted to uh, just mention that really quick because we didn't get to mention that uh, last week. We just ran out of time. Right, so today, again, so chapter uh, 28 and the first 15 verses. Let me read those together for us. Uh, now when he had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And so when the natives saw that the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm came to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, when he had, who received us and entertained us uh, courteously, for, courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and prayed, and he laid hands on him and healed him. And when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Puteoli, where we found the brethren. 
and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went towards Rome. And from there, when the, brethren, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and the three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Let me read the, us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You again for uh, our time this morning. Father, we ask that You be here with us and just bless our time. And Father, as Your Word is living and breathing and active, Father, we know that You will uh, send it forth to accomplish what it has to accomplish today. And we just uh, pray that You'll be here with us and guide us in all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Chapter uh, 27 ends uh, by telling us what happened after or after the tempest, after the, the storm. And it says, you know, when daylight uh, shone, you remember they were, uh, they just basically hunkered down. It was dark. They didn't know where they were. They thought they were approaching land and they just hunkered down. And so when daylight uh, came, they saw land, but they didn't recognize it. Nobody knew really where they uh, were. Of course, we find out that they were at uh, or near Malta. And Malta was an island, a small island. Uh, about 17 miles long, 9 miles wide. It's about 60 uh, miles south of Sicily. If that helps you, okay? 60 miles south of Sicily. None of the sailors on the ship had previously been to Malta, and that's why they didn't recognize it. They just didn't, weren't really sure uh, where they were. And interestingly enough, the, the bay where, or the area where um, they shipwrecked today is known as, anybody want to take a guess? St. Paul's Bay, where Paul shipwrecked on, on the island of Malta. Anyway, all who could swam for shore, and just as Paul had told them, not one of them died. They all reached the shore. Now, remember what time of the year it is. It's November. So you can imagine they were cold and wet and tired. The, as Luke tells us, the natives of uh, Malta uh, were, were generous to them. Uh, the Greeks referred to the natives of Malta as barbarians. And, uh, of course, the Greeks called anyone who wasn't a Greek barbarians. The, um, the, the, as we see, based on what Luke tells us, they were anything but barbaric. Again, they were uh, generous. They showed hospitality and kindness to Paul and the others. And so they built a fire to help this crew uh, who was wet and tired and cold, built a fire to help them get warm. And of course, as typical for Paul, he doesn't just sit around and watch. Uh, he chips in. He gets. He he, he does. He's not lazy, um, and he wants to contribute. So he didn't just stand around and watch. So he helped gather wood uh, for the fire. And it was at uh, that time when he was doing that that this viper, who was hidden in the wood, uh, came out because of the heat. Uh, the viper comes out. It uh, then, as Luke tells us, latches his uh, latches on to Paul's hand. Now, the incident of the viper in Paul's hand and latching on to Paul's hand, this incident, as Luke records us, uh, has been and probably continues to be a target of much criticism. The first question they'll ask, okay, it's wintertime. A snake bite in the wintertime. Okay. Valid question. Uh, another one was, uh, is uh, that there are because today there are no snakes on the island of Malta. There's no snakes there. Uh, but one thing when you when you think about uh, history, because this you know two thousand years ago, history does show us it is extremely possible 
that given the small size of this island, that snakes had been eradicated over a period of time. Uh, just an overpopulation of people kill snakes. Again, it's not that big an area. Very easy just to wipe them out. Okay, and that could explain why, or that can explain why there's no snakes there today. Uh, another uh, criticism is that a, uh, a viper does not usually strike and then lay hold to its victim. That's another criticism. They strike and they let go. Um, yet there are many examples uh, of vipers when they would latch onto something, uh, they would get they could get their fangs caught in clothing or uh, other items uh, like footwear. So it is inc- it's extremely possible that the viper got caught on Paul's sleeve when he went to uh, attack Paul or to bite Paul. Another one, uh, another criticism was that the snake was misidentified as a viper. Now that one's a little bit hard to believe because uh, Luke here is recording what happened. The natives referred to it as a viper. They lived there. Um, it didn't. I don't think they would, you know, misspeak or misidentify a snake on their island. So, again, uh, some controversy here or some some criticism here. I think uh, we can have faith that the way Luke describes it is the way it happened. These criticisms are easy to explain. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll, so back to the natives. Uh, the natives, again, uh, were kind and generous, but they were very quick to jump to conclusions, as we see, based on the, their interpretation of the event. And we read it here in verse 4. It says, So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his head, a hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. So they interpret this events, okay, based on their own uh, worldview. Uh, and to them, you know, how, how else can you uh, explain uh, these men being shipwrecked, a bad situation, and then a deadly snake bite as soon as they, you know, find um, find uh, rest on the shoreline? So it's it's they're doomed, so to speak. That's what the natives would have interpreted. Now, the act, because of, of what they believed, and, the, and the, again, their worldview, they would have attributed this act uh, to Nemesis. Now, Nemesis was uh, the god of vengeance. These people would have believed in him. They would have thought that this was some sort of um, act uh, of fate, or uh, we, we said in our Sunday evening ser- service about karma, you know, karma things. People believe in this sense of karma, you know, that you you reap what you sow. I mean, uh, this, there's this force out there that when you do something wrong, then karma, this impersonal force is going to come back and get you or something. So similar kind of um, worldview things here. Nemesis uh, actually is where we get our word, the same word, uh, nemesis from, from the God. It's, uh, you know, and you think about it today, if you, we've, we've heard of people being called, you know, someone is my nemesis or I'm a nemesis to someone. You know, it's someone that's always giving you a hard time and someone who tries to make your life miserable. Well, that's, this is the, the root, this is where we get our idea of uh, nemesis. Well, back to the God of vengeance, nemesis. Uh, it was his job to bring, so they thought, to bring uh, justice uh, to people when other attempts have failed. So he was, he's the divine uh, justice keeper. You know, he's going to make sure you get what you deserve. Okay, that's nemesis, right? And so 
because that's what they were thinking and that's how they interpreted uh, these events, they waited and they watched. Okay, fate has caught up with this guy. Nemesis is going to bring justice. And so they're waiting for arms, uh, Paul's arm to swell up and then he would die. Well, it didn't happen, right? It didn't happen. So what now? They continue to interpret these events. Okay, well, we've made a mistake. His arm didn't, his hand didn't swell up and die. So I guess he's not a murderer. He must be a god. Okay, he must be a god. Well, we all know uh, that Paul is neither a murderer uh, or a god. Uh, Paul is uh, the apostle. Paul was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was doing exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ had commanded him to do. He was fulfilling the mission that Christ had given to him. In Mark 16, uh, Jesus said these words, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Okay, we see Paul's mission. He's carrying out these exact words uh, uh, that Christ had spoken uh, so many years earlier. And virtually everything that Jesus mentions here, okay, here in Mark 16, virtually everything he mentioned in some form or fashion uh, happened during the life and ministry of Paul, happened to him. He experienced all these things. Um, so we can find encouragement. And of course, uh, Dr. Sproul made a, a comment here. He says, as a side note, I'm not going to go down this rabbit trail because he didn't. Uh, this is the verse, okay, here in Mark 16 that the folks who take up snakes the religious snake holders, this is their proof verse. This one verse here that they hang on to is their reason for snake handling. Again, we're not going to really spend a lot of time there because that's kind of crazy. We need to pray for those folks. Let's continue. Uh, verse 7 and 8. It says, In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him, and he prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. Now, the phrase, the Greek phrase, leading citizen, the way that they describe Publius, that indicates that most likely Publius was the Roman governor of Malta. So he's the leader here on the island. Um, what we find out is Publius' father had uh, Maltese fever, which was uh, common. It was a recurring sickness. It was common on the island. It was caused uh, back by bacteria common to the goats. Okay, so They had goats on the island, and there was a bacteria there. It caused this uh, Maltese fever. Well, Luke, the physician, the doctor, he diagnosed the problem. He knows what Publius' father has. Uh, the symptoms were very similar to malaria. Um, it has phases. It has an acute phase. It has a recovery phase. Um, and the recovery can last sometimes up from six months even to a year. 
So this is, you know, once you are afflicted with this, uh, a person could suffer for a lifetime. Once you caught this, you could have this for the rest of your life. It could be, I imagine, no pleasant thing uh, to have to deal with. Well, again, Luke diagnosed it, and Paul did what? He cured it. Luke diagnosed it, but Paul cured it. it says, Luke tells us that Paul went uh, to the man, he laid hands on him, and he was healed. Amazing the miracle that the Lord worked through the hands of Paul. Now, as you can imagine, this event, this miraculous healing, uh, that happened, and immediately just like we saw in Jesus' life and ministry, immediately the news of this healing spread throughout the whole island. Everybody's talking about it. It's the talk of the town, right? Um, and so Luke tells us that people of all sorts of sickness and disease came uh, to see Paul. And he laid hands on them as well. And they were all healed. Wonderful work that Paul was doing here. A prisoner. Remember that. Paul's still a prisoner. He's in custody. But he's still about his Lord's business. He's still about his Lord's business. Uh, He was continuing to remain faithful uh, to the mission that the Lord Jesus had given him, no matter the circumstances. Continuous. And we talked about that when we described Paul's life. Just commitment to the mission. Just amazing commitment to serving the Lord in every circumstance he finds himself in. Next, Luke uh, gives us a description of the rest of the voyage. So in verse 11, Luke says, After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was, was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. So remember, we talked about how treacherous it was uh, to travel uh, during winter. So another ship had come in, an Alexandrian ship, had wintered there, and so they basically hitched a ride. We're going, to, we're going towards Rome. Can you, can you help us get there? Well, if you remember, if, if, if you're a fan of ships or if you're a fan of old ships, um, a lot of the ships during this time had uh, an image or a decoration uh, carved into the, the prow of the boat. Okay, If you've seen this, you've seen all different sorts of things carved into the, the front of, uh, of the boat. Well, this ship, particular ship, this Alexandrian ship, had a carving of the mythical twins Casper and Pollux. That's the twin brothers that Luke refers to. Okay, Mythological twins Casper and uh, Pollux. They're, these mythological twins, they're a corresponding constellation. Because you remember, this is the, the time when every, they had gods for everything. It was, they had constellations that they thought had special meaning and power. Uh, and so these two twins, Casper and Pollux, their corresponding constellation was Gemini. Okay, The constellation of Zemini, uh, Gemini. Well, in these times, uh, the mariners, these folks who made their living on the sea, uh, believed that Gemini had jurisdiction over the sea. He's in charge. That, that God, that con- is, is, is consolation, everything that it represents, has jurisdiction over uh, the sea. So you can see the significance. And while they put the, the twin brothers, they're looking for protection. You know, maybe if we have that on the prow of our ships, then maybe we'll get protection on the sea. Well, 
Luke tells us that Paul and uh, the others boarded this ship and then they sailed on for Italy. Verses uh, 12 and the first half of 13. Let me read those. It says, In landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled around and reached Regium. Now, Syracuse, if you're, again, if you're familiar, if you look back on a map and you're familiar with uh, Malta, again, is south of uh, Sicily, the island of Sicily, and Sicily's right up next to, to Italy. And so uh, Syracuse was a major city of that island. Okay, So they have traveled north from Malta right to uh, Sicily. And I, I read, I was reading through MacArthur's uh, study Bible. He made a note here uh, that, and this I find fascinating, that tradition holds that while these three days, just three days, that Paul's at Syracuse, guess what? Planted a church. That's what tradition holds. There was a church established uh, during his three-day stopover here. I think that's fascinating. I think that's wonderful. I think that's amazing. Well, they reached uh, Regium, which is on the toe of the boot of Italy. If you're familiar with the boot, it's down at the, it's the southernmost part. It's the toe. So they leave um, Sicily, or excuse me, Syracuse, and head towards um, Regium. Now, the second half of verse 13 and 14, it says, "And after uh, one day, they uh, one day, excuse me, the, so they're up in uh, Regium. They left. They were on Syracuse for three days." There and they're headed towards uh, Regium. It says, and after one day, the next day, we came to Puteoli, where we found the brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we also went towards Rome. Now, again, if you're if you're looking at a map, okay, they're on the mainland of Italy, Regium, but they had to sail. They go between uh, Italy and Sicily through some um, some the straits. We're, we're going to talk about that in a minute, and traveled uh, right up north to uh, Puteoli. Now, to make, they made this journey by the sea because okay, that's the quickest way. And so to go by the sea from the boot up to Puteoli, they had to pass through the Straits of Messina. There we go. I got it right. Straits of uh, Messina. Now, that's again, you look at a map. Sicily, and they're right there next to each other. This is a narrow passageway through there. Well, this, these straits uh, were known uh, and they were famous for their dangerous waters. Treacherous waters, dangerous place to travel. So that's the place they went right through. Uh, in fact, uh, Sproul noted that this narrow passageway became uh, famous and immortalized forever because it was included in Homer's The Odyssey. Because uh, Odysseus had to sail through this dangerous passage. And so as he writes this, this, um, this work, this, this odyssey, um, he details Odysseus' uh, uh, travel through this very dangerous uh, part of uh, this narrow passage. Well, the ancient people, again, you know, they have an explanation of everything. And so they had an, a, a way to explain uh, the dangerous parts of these straits, this narrow uh, passage. And, um, you know, today we say uh, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, they would say that uh, they were between uh, Scylla and Charybdis. Now, let me say what that means, okay? Two, two words, Scylla and uh, Charybdis. Because this is the way they, again, the 2,000-year-old mind, okay? This is how they, with mythology, Greek mythology being the background of their worldview, this is how they explained why the waters were so dangerous, okay? And again, it was... Uh, documented in Homer's Odyssey. 
Scylla, okay, between Scylla and um, Charybdis. Scylla was a mythological monster dog, okay, who was said to live in a cave by the shore of the Straits. So you got a cave hidden on one side of the Straits that's got a monster dog living in it. Uh, and so if a ship, when they were navigating the straits, if they got too close to that side where uh, this uh, Skyler, this dog lived, he would come out and grab one or two of the sailors, take them back to his cave, and eat them. Okay, that was the myth. That's what they believed. Okay, it happened. Now, on the other side, on the other part of the straits was Charybdis. What was that? Charybdis was a whirlpool that just appeared three times a day. And so if you sailed too close to the whirlpool, you would get sucked right in, and that whirlpool would take your ship straight to the bottom of the sea, and you'd be done. So Odysseus, when we find in Homer's Odyssey, when he sailed through, he was careful. He, he sailed on the side with the dog, Skyla. Because in his mind, well, it'd be better to lose a couple of soldiers in my entire ship. Or excuse me, sailors. It'd be better to lose a couple of sailors than my entire ship, and so uh, that's what he chose to do. So anyway, okay. As we we talk about mythology again, we're we're I'm just trying to explain what the people of the day would have thought about. Of course, we all know they're completely myths. There's no monster dog living on one side of the straits. But the fact remains, okay, these straits, uh, the straits of Messina were very dangerous, regardless, okay. Obviously, there's no, there's no whirlpool there that sucked people to the bottom of the ocean, uh, and there's no monster dog. However, they were very dangerous. So, this crew, who had already endured some hardship, now they're on another ship, an Alexandrian ship, and they're traveling through the straits, and then finally, the ship, the ship reaches Italy there at um, Puteola. The rest of the trip is going to be on land. They're done. They're off the boat. They're off, uh, off the sea. Luke tells us that as uh, they arrive, uh, Paul is greeted by the Christians uh, there. Now, this is Paul's first visit uh, to those who he had written to uh, three years later when he wrote Romans. And you remember the introduction to Romans, Romans 1. Um, uh, Paul has an address to them. And he says this in Romans 1. He says, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last, I, might, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Three years ago, Paul had prayed, I long to see you. I long to be with you, to see the brethren gathered here. And now he is there. And he's able to be and fellowship with some of the believers there. He wanted to see these brothers and sisters. And so now he's headed towards Rome, and in God's providence, he's able to see them along his way. They greeted him uh, there. Now it says, uh, Luke tells us, that uh, they stayed on the coast here for a few days, and then they began the trip up to Rome. 
Uh, we are told in uh, verse 15 that they got to Appii Forum and then uh, the three ends. And yet uh, even more believers were gathered there. So word is spreading that Paul's here and we're going to go see him. Uh, Appii, that was a market town that was located about 43 miles uh, south of Rome and it can be found along the Appian Way. Uh, Three Inns was basically a rest stop that was between um, Appii and uh, Rome. It was about 30 miles south of Rome, so just a little farther north than their first uh, stop. Now, what we know a little bit about Roman history, uh, the city of Rome, okay? The city of Rome was founded in the same year that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. We have those recorded for us in Isaiah 6.1. This was somewhere around 750 B.C., okay? It's about the time frame. Um, the Roman Empire lasted almost 2,000 years. Or actually a little over 2,000 years. And of course... Rome, being the capital city of the Roman Empire, basically Rome was the central city of the known world. It was the central place, the central city of uh, the known world. And uh, to this day, if you travel there, has anybody been to Rome? Anybody been over there? You've been over there. Did you get to see some places that are recorded for us in the Bible that are still here today? Did you get to visit any of those, Miss Pam? Uh, well, one, one thing was, you know, of course, the Colosseum is still there. Uh, ruins of some of the temples and even the prison where Paul spent his last hours is still there. Did you get to see any of that? Okay. Okay. But I'm sure, I mean, I've never been uh, to Europe. I've never been over there, but I can just imagine seeing something that's old. We don't know anything like that. We can't, exp- here, we don't have anything that old, right? There's nothing older than a couple of hundred years. Uh, but you got something over there that's thousands of years old, which I think is remarkable. Um, completely uh, remarkable. Well, the Romans were known for a lot of things. They were also, but they were mainly known for their engineering and for their architecture. Uh, you remember the saying, "All lead, all roads lead to Rome." You've heard that saying. Well, there, what's the reason behind it? Well, because uh, that saying came about because the Romans built really good roads. Okay. So in this time, if it was a really good road, you could say, all, well, it leads to Rome. All roads lead to Rome. And that's why they came up with uh, the saying. They had a well-built uh, transportation system. Uh, and today, we just referred to their trip, okay, to Paul's trip. When they, when they landed at uh, Puteoli, when they went up towards the Appian Way, uh, Appii Way, and uh, the three ends, that road, okay, is the Appian Way. It's still there today parts of it okay you can still walk on the appian way it's a road built by the romans uh in like 312 bc it's still there uh it was just fascinating you know we can't even build a road that lasts you know 10 years something like but they build a road that lasts thousands of years anyway really neat uh piece of history there so we have this depiction of the travel paul finally arrives in Rome, and we find that later in the, in the reading. And uh, of course, given everything that we've detailed, all the things that's happened to him, uh, we can see, and, and Paul knows, and the people on the ship know, the only reason he's there is through the providence of God. I mean, if you were to look at the circumstances of this trip, you would say, there's no way we're going to make it, right? I mean, just look at everything that has happened.
Okay, there's just no way we're going to make it here. We're going to die. We'll never get there. But through the providence of God, Paul makes it uh, to Rome. And here at this point, uh, Dr. Sproul asks a question. Well, what can we learn from all this? What can we learn from the details of this trip that we've just kind of, we're getting this, this dangerous trip on the sea and, and Paul's life? Um, well, we can learn a lot from uh, this. He began by saying, all who are in Christ have a manifest destiny. A manifest destiny. And God will bring each one to it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is the one directing your steps? And God knows exactly what He has in store for you. And He's going to do everything to bring you there. You know, truly that's... I think we all would say we believe that, but it's hard to actually believe that. You know, because again, you and I are guilty of looking at the circumstances and seeing what's right in front of us and really forgetting who's in control of the circumstances and who brought these circumstances here to us. Instead of resting in God's providence, we want to change our circumstances. Right? That's the first thing we want to do. Uh, we want to change that and, and, and ask God, why did you bring these? When a lot of times, uh, God brings those for a specific uh, purpose and it's for our ultimate good, as we know. But, but we see this, this, we see God at work. Uh, we, again, we've talked about this on Sunday night through our study in the Westminster uh, Confession that we don't believe in a blind fate. Okay, we don't, we don't believe in chance. Nothing happens by accident. We don't believe in karma. Okay, this impersonal force, you know, that's out there at work in the world. We don't believe in any of those things. What we do believe is this is our Father's world. This is God's world. That's what we do believe. We do believe it's our Father's world, and we are His children if we know Christ. And have made Him Lord of our lives. He is our Savior. He is. We are adopted into the family. And we are God's children. And good news, it's Dad's world. It's my Father's world. There is nothing that can happen to me here that's outside of His control. Or His providence. Not one thing. There is, as we know, a, a final point uh, for each one of us. And He's appointed that. And He's going to bring us... There, ultimately, we know where this life ends. It ends where it really just begins, right? With Him in heaven for eternity in the new heavens and uh, the new earth. And certainly, that is amazing. It's more amazing than we can even imagine. But in the middle, okay, in the middle of the storms, okay, that Paul and his crew were in the middle of, in the middle of beatings, that Paul has experienced in the middle of persecution that Paul and the others have experienced in the middle of pain in the middle of immense pain physical pain spiritual pain emotional pain in the middle of that in the middle of a shipwreck lost on an island you don't have any idea where you even are in the middle of the shipwreck when we start to lose hope when we start to lose all hope. We need to remember Paul. We need to remember Paul. Paul believed God. And he found courage in that. He found courage in his belief because he knew exactly his father was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And Paul was right in the mission. He was doing exactly the mission that Christ had given him. And so he was 
He found courage. He was. He found peace. He found strength in the middle of all those circumstances that the average man would, you know, just crumble. I can imagine. I would just, you know, want to crumble and just give up all all sense of hope. But we can look to Paul, and we can find uh, encouragement. There is uh, this or this 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 God whom we worship. The God that Paul says, I belong to. Remember that? Remember Paul described, I belong to Him. Uh, this God who we worship uh, holds each one of us, you and me, in the palm of His hand. And there's no safer place to be. There is no safer place to be. He will never let us go. He has uh, His plan. And remember, it's not uh, a plan for your sake. Remember why he said he didn't. He didn't call Paul into a comfortable life for Paul's sake. Paul was not called into a life of ease and comfort. Uh, that's not called. Paul was called into a life of great difficulty, but great reward. Would you not agree? Great reward in the kingdom of God. And so these circumstances, as so many times, we are so tempted just to look at that and just completely forget about who God is and what He's doing. Uh, we can become overwhelmed. Uh, but we know, we have to remind ourselves, we have to go to the Word, we have to remind ourselves of the life and testimony of Paul in particular, and others, there are many others, uh, that we're right there in the palm of His hand, and He's never going to let us go. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, uh, again, Father, we just thank You for Your Word. We thank You uh, that You're here with us. Father, um, we just ask that uh, you use your word uh, today uh, to change each and every one of us, Father, uh, to make us more like Christ, to uh, conform us to his image, Father. And we ask that uh, you use us in this world uh, to be a part of your mission, Father. You've enlisted us into that um, mission, Father. We just pray that you will give us the courage to act and to stand firm in the faith no matter the circumstances of this life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.